As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday the 1st of November, I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... Could a cup win ease the heat on Eric Ten Hag? There's been so many turning points already this season that they're going around in circles. Will Everton be on the end of a 12-point deduction? They've heard the case from Everton. They've heard the case from the Premier League. And now they're just pouring over that evidence. And do we need to pencil in another Winter World Cup in Saudi Arabia? We did wonder if a bid might come from Australia. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. Fair to say there's been a lot of soul searching for those of a Manchester United persuasion since Sunday's events. Here's Haaland, so unselfish to present it to Foden, to make it 3-0. United were comprehensively beaten by their nearest and dearest rivals, Manchester City at Old Trafford, and it all left a feeling of just how far the mighty have fallen. But United are back tonight to maintain their defence of the Carabao Cup. Newcastle knocked out Man City in the previous round and it is Newcastle that Man United face next. Our Manchester-based reporter Mark Critchley joins us now. Mark, how much do United and especially the manager, Eric Ten Hag, need a positive result tonight? I think desperately. (laughs) Desperately is the word. Every time that United have a bad run of form or spiral into another crisis as they have at the moment, then you say that, but... This one feels a bit more dramatic than the one that we had last month or the month before that or whenever. You know, the last time that they played in this competition was against Crystal Palace in the third round, won 3-0. There's been three wins since then, three defeats. But I'd say that that game was actually the last time that there was really a positive feeling around, around United. I think all of that frustration really and uncertainty around just exactly where they're at was fed into the game on Sunday and then to follow it with that performance, the scale of the defeat and just how wide the chasm seemed between them and City, it's made this game all the more important. What has the fallout been like in the last day or two since that derby result? More people are looking at Ten Hag himself and you said in the first question, does he especially need a positive result? I think so because now in the light of that result, whereas a few months ago, I don't think fans were quite looking at him and scrutinising him and questioning his decisions. 
that's been one of the major consequences that makes the fallout from this game and and the period that United are in right now different from perhaps other points that we've seen earlier in the season. Yeah, this is the trophy Eric Ten Hag won last season, of course. It will be interesting to see who he does lean on going into this game. How do you expect him to approach that? I think it'll be some rotation, I would expect, given that that's how he approached the previous round against Palace. That night actually produced quite a decent performance <laughs> with some of the players that you might not always expect to start. So I think he'll look to take some some players out of the spotlight. Rashford's one of them where, again, just one goal this season, there's a lot of scrutiny falling on him at the moment and it feels like an ideal opportunity to do that. Alejandro Ganacho is somebody who started the season in the team, dropped out of it, but is somebody who gets the fans on their feet that a lot of people always want to see come on and, and make an impact on a game. So you're really just looking to make changes to just signify change, really, and, and doing things differently, because I think that's what a lot of United fans are desperate for after Sunday. And just finally, it is a repeat of last season's final. It was Newcastle who United beat at Wembley. Do you expect that to play any role in the game tonight? And I suppose in terms of from Newcastle's point of view, as much as United's? Well, yeah, I'm sure, you know, that was such a huge day for Newcastle being in a major domestic cup final having the chance to win the first trophy. And they left very disappointed that day. I think they had an argument that they were perhaps the better side. It's interesting, actually, I think ever since that game, the form just dropped off a cliff after that. And even at the back end of last season, you saw the problems that we're seeing now starting to creep in. So it's a significant game for United in that respect that they're up against Newcastle again in this competition. And look, there's been so many, so many turning points already this season that they're going around in circles. But maybe just the memory of that, of that triumph of the biggest positive to come out of last season will help spur them on in this game. Thanks, Mark. You can watch the action at Old Trafford on Sky Sports in the UK from 8.15pm or 4.15pm Eastern on ESPN Plus in the US. And you can go deeper on the situation at United with our dedicated podcast, Talk of the Devils, available wherever you get your podcasts. Things may not be great at United right now, but there's another Premier League club whose crisis has run even deeper. Everton have been fighting for their top flight lives. They're now also fighting charges of alleged breaches of the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. And there's the small matter of an ongoing takeover that's needed to help the club avoid financial catastrophe. But like United, Everton also have the chance for some positivity on the pitch tonight when they host Burnley for a place in the Carabao Cup quarterfinals. Paddy Boyland is Everton correspondent for The Athletic and he joins us now. Paddy, how up for the cup are Everton? I think that's an interesting question. They are obviously looking for a little bit of respite after years of battling relegation. So a potential cup run would be, I think, a big boost and give supporters something positive to focus on other than, first of all, Premier League survival. And secondly, the prospect, I suppose, of a potential points deduction for FFP breaches. What's the latest situation with, with those and where the club are at and expected to be in a few months' time? So right now we're waiting on a deliberation from the independent commission. They've heard the case from Everton. They've heard the case from the Premier League and now they're just pouring over that evidence ahead of the verdict and the deliberation. Nobody really knows what to expect right now. And we've had doomsday scenarios reported elsewhere of potential 12-point deduction. That strikes me as a bit draconian, to be honest, compared to other past cases in, in kind of other leagues. But the honest answer is nobody really knows where this is going to lead. And information has been relatively 
thin on the ground. The Premier League aren't even really prepared to say at this moment in time when we should expect to hear the verdict. Just on the ownership situation, that's obviously a complex one. Where do they find themselves with that? Everton are currently in the middle of a takeover by the Miami firm 777 Partners. They are going to acquire 94% of Farhad Mashiri's shares in the club. Curiously, that will end up through a share issue that will take them up to 97% ownership of the club. That agreement is in place, but we are currently about halfway through a 12-week approval process. For the takeover to go through, you need approval from the Premier League, from the Football Association, and also from the Financial Conduct Authority. So they will be analysing things like whether 777 have got the money they claim to have, where that funding is coming from, and whether it's a legitimate source of funds, and also whether the people that are coming on board at a director level are suitable directors of the football club. We're about halfway through that at this moment in time. There's a back and forth with lawyers sending paperwork. And at at, at present, the, the general consensus is that we're more or less on track. And in the meantime, 777 are ploughing cash into Everton. They have, as, as per our understanding, put in around 80 million in loans. That's purely to help the club with day-to-day running costs, to keep the new stadium payments on track. It's not an ideal situation by any stretch of the imagination for Everton to be in. And I think most parties of the club would probably want this to be over sooner rather than later. Thanks, Paddy. There are six ties tonight, but we already know two of this season's Carabao Cup quarter-finalists. Vera, throwing his way to the edge of the area and finding the bottom corner. Two goals of high quality. That was Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough. The championship side needed a late penalty to win 3-2 at League One Exeter. However, fellow League One club Port Vale did make it through after scoring the only goal at fourth-tier Mansfield Town. As for the Nations League, it was a difficult night for England's women. The Lionesses lost 3-2 in Belgium. Jesse Parker-Humphreys was following the action. England's World Cup hangover is continuing. A 3-2 loss away in Belgium tonight has imperiled Team GB's chances of Olympic qualification. Yes, for anyone unaware, England are currently trying to qualify for the Olympics on behalf of whole of Great Britain through the Women's Nations League. To do that, they need to at least make the semi-finals of the tournament, meaning they will need to top their group. And that's looking tough right now following tonight's loss. They currently sit third in the group. They've won two of their four matches. And they will need to win their next two games, the final two games of the group. That's a home game at Wembley against the Netherlands and an away game in Scotland, plus hope that Belgium, the team who beat them tonight, don't win both their games. It was a bit of a strange game. Belgium took a surprise lead from a direct free kick to Neve scoring after nine minutes. But the touch point of the first half was clash of heads, which saw Alex Greenwood go down and be treated on the pitch for more than 10 minutes. The update is is that she is conscious and talking, but understandably it interrupted the flow of the game. We saw 14 minutes of added time in that first half. England actually rallied after Greenwood had to go off. Lucy Bronze equalised for the, the team and then Frank Herbie making her first return to England for over a year got the second on 44 minutes but Tessa Vullart equalised for Belgium just before half time and it was it was her who scored the penalty in the 85th minute that gave Belgium a historic 3-2 win over England they've now beaten both England and the Netherlands at home fantastic set of results 
for this Belgian side. Obviously, the return of Frank Herbie is a positive, but these ongoing defensive issues for England, particularly in transition, continue to be causing Serena Wiegmann a headache. And right now, it feels like there are more problems than there are solutions. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. And to continue the international theme, we now know that Saudi Arabia is the only country that has bid to host the 2034 Men's World Cup. That's after Australia decided not to run against them as a potential candidate. Senior news reporter Matt Slater is with us now. Matt, I think we were all expecting this news. Take us through what's happened. October 31st was the deadline for expressions of interest in hosting the Men's World Cup in 2034. Now, people didn't have very long to get their stuff together. Now, Saudi Arabia were ready and they got their expression of interest in pretty sharpish. We did wonder if a bid might come from Australia. We sort of had some clues that they were probably going to pull out. There was talk they might go in with Indonesia because it was it was it's, it had to be an Asian someone from the Asian Confederation. Australia sit with Asia in football or Oceania, which is basically New Zealand and twelve Pacific Islands. So once we knew that the pool of candidates wasn't very big, we definitely had Saudi Arabia as this sort of hot early favourite. Australia kind of toyed with the bid didn't bid, announced on the 31st, we're not bidding and here's why we're not bidding. Saudi Arabia, hooray. They'll be officially confirmed, officially, officially, officially confirmed in the fourth quarter of next year, but it's done. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Which is obviously great news for our diaries because we can write that in. The only thing is, will it be in the summer or the winter? Are we going to get another Winter World Cup? I don't think it can be anything other than another Winter World Cup. Now, that caused... A global controversy for about a couple of years where all the leagues went, oh, you know, that's the end of the world. I think if we learn anything from Qatar, it's that with a bit of forward planning, you can do a Winter World Cup. And is there any other likely fallout from this situation or from the award of the, the or the likely award of the World Cup to Saudi Arabia? And I'm also wondering whether Australia will likely benefit in some way from not bidding. Well, yes. Michael, you, you, you cynical devil, you. Uh, fallout. Does 11 years of wrangling and, and arguments about sports washing, does that count? Does that count as fallout? Because we're going to get 11 years of that. If you thought the, the build-up to Qatar was, was uh, sort of problematic and fractious, I think it's going to be considerably more fractious in the run-up to Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is a bigger bigger player on the global stage a more controversial place in many ways, and let's let's save that for another pod. Bonuses for Australia, yes, absolutely. This is global football. This is FIFA. So by kind of gracefully bowing out of the way, Australia, even in their statement, put a, put a big clue as to what they'd like for this. The twenty twenty nine enlarged Club World Cup. So that'll be the second running of this big thirty two team Club World Cup every four years. The first one is in twenty twenty five in the US. Australia would love that. They'd love to invite 32 amazing teams down under. I have a feeling this this tournament really is going to be something special. And for Australia, it sits nicely in their sort of decade of major events. So they've got the Olympics in Brisbane in 2032. They've just done the Women's World Cup, haven't they, shared with New Zealand. They've got the Asian Women's Tournament, the football tournament in 2026. And they've got some other stuff as well. So look, they, they are very much sort of see themselves as having kind of this great kind of decade themselves in in the same way that Saudi Arabia wanted to do of big events. 
Thanks, Matt. And that's all for today. Thank you for listening. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Mike Zimmerman and Abby Patterson. And executive producer was Ben Green. I'll be back with you tomorrow. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic.